The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. Let's pray. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your people that we have the privilege of being here with you together. Make it rich, Lord. Uh, You want to speak to us this morning through your word, by your spirit. Um, So I pray that you would. Please help me. Please help me to teach uh, your word faithfully and clearly as I should. And let it take root in our hearts and change us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you ever just wish that you could make a difference, you could make a change? Do you ever find yourself tired of the same old habits in your life or the same old problems you face? Um, Do you ever look at your world and just wish, I wish I could make, I I think we say it like this, I wish I could make a difference. Do you ever have that feeling? And do maybe you remember when you used to have that feeling and then you gave up? I think we each want to be the kind of person that brings a value and a worth to relationships, to situations. I think we each are even born with something where we want to have an impact. We want to make things better. We want to make a difference. I think we want to tap into, don't you want to tap into what life is all about and then participate? Make a difference? Uh, I think you do. I do. But sometimes it's hard to know how. Do you agree with that? Sometimes you feel stuck. It's hard to know how. It was about 11 years ago, if you can believe that, Marcia and I drove out here from Boston in a big truck, um, hardly knowing anyone. Still remember what I was praying when I drove in on the, my first California superhighway. Um, it was basically like, Lord, let us make a difference for you. And I'll be honest, many times I've felt stuck. I've wondered if I am making a difference. I've wondered if I can make a difference. I've wondered how to make a difference. Maybe for you it's a little different. Maybe you're facing a new school year and you're busy and the urgent's kind of taken over. Does that happen? And you're trying to remember what's most important in life. Or maybe you need some things to change in your life, big time. In your heart, your mind, your habits, your relationships, maybe you need, you need change and you're not sure how to get there. Or maybe you're thinking, I wish my relationship with God would really impact me more deeply. Do you ever find yourself just thinking, I'm kind of like walking through some basic motions and I wish there was more. You're wondering how to get there. Uh, Maybe you hear something or you read something in the Bible. Sometimes you hear something in a sermon. You're like, oh, I want to take that. I hope you've had that feeling a couple times. Oh, I want to take that home. I want to do something with that. But then what happens? Sometimes it feels like oil through the fingers. Wednesday afternoon, you're like, what was it? Um, Or maybe you feel you're doing fine. You feel like you're doing all right. But maybe you're haunted with the reality that you could be impacting others a little more. Well, this morning, I want to give you, this is going to be a different kind of a sermon for us. I want to give you one sentence that I think makes the difference. And then I want to unpack it with you. I want to unpack it with you. To me, this sentence has made all the difference. It still is making the difference. So I want to show you the source of the sentence. I didn't invent the truth in it, God willing. Uh, It's from Paul's letter to the church. In Colossae. So we're going to hit a bunch of places in Colossians to see it, to see where it comes from. But this sentence is about the difference, the difference God makes in us and through us. And we're going to see in it that he's, he wants to be, the, he is the difference maker. He wants to be the difference in your life. And he wants the difference to be made in you. And through you, in fact, he's calling you to it. He's calling you to it. 
So I really believe this. If you've wondered how to find what life is all about, what is the difference? I think the answer is here. If you've wondered how to draw closer to God, the answer is here. If you've wondered how can I actually be used by God, the answer is here. It's not the complete answer, but it's, it's the answer. So here's my sentence. Got on the overhead for you. Will you read it with me? Try and engage you at the risk of being cheesy. Will you read it with me? The difference maker is the gospel. And the gospel makes its difference through people, prayer, and proclamation. I've tried to make it simple. The difference maker is the gospel. And the gospel makes its difference through these three Ps. That's to help you with your memory. It's a pastor tool, right? We've got to start everything with the same letter. Um, so if you're like, that's cheesy, good. If you come up to me, if you think it's cheesy, come up to me after the service and be like, that's so cheesy when you do the same letters. And I'll be like, sweet, what were they? People, prayer, and proclamation. So the first thing I need to unpack for you, we need to unpack together, we need to remember together, is the gospel. What is the gospel? It's good to go back to, back to basics sometimes, right? Uh, athletes have to do this all the time. Professional athletes will get all screwed up, and they're playing terribly, and they'll say, we had to go back to video. The coach had, the coach had to take me what? Back to the basics. It's good for us, too. What is the gospel? How would you sum it up? Well, first of all, the Greek word behind our English word gospel means good news. Let's never forget that. It means good news. Have you ever had a time in your life when you received good news that you really needed? Sometimes we get bad news, I know. But have you ever received really good news? The gospel should feel like that. This is the best news yet. This is the best news ever. That's why it's called the gospel. It makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. And so what is the good news? Well, it's really better asked like this. Who is the good news? The good news is Jesus in two parts. I'm trying to make this really, really simple. The gospel is the person and the work of Jesus. Obviously, you could say more, but, but to try to simplify it, the gospel is a person. The good news is Jesus who came. Specifically, two things about him, who he is and what he's done. Will you look with me at Colossians 1, starting at verse 15? And will you see with me again what maybe you already knew about Jesus? Look what Paul says. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And if you feel stuck in a rut, you feel... Hopeless. Look at Jesus. Look at who he is. We look at with me at who he is. First of all, he's the image of God. How many of your friends can you say this about? He's not he we're made in the image of God. He is the image of God. So if you wanted to see God's character, God's power, hear his voice, if you wanted God to come near, well he has. In the person of who? Jesus. He's fully God. Divine. The image of God. Second, Paul says, he's the firstborn. Those words represent an Old Testament image that means inheritor. So what's it mean to inherit? To be, to be given something and now it's yours. And according to this text, what is it that Jesus is going to inherit? He's the firstborn of all. Creation. Creation. That'd be nice if one of your uh, forebears left you a, a big inheritance. Maybe it'd be huge. Maybe a couple of millions of dollars. Wow. It'd be yours. What is Jesus going to inherit? Creation. Everything is his. He inherits it all. And he should because look at verse 16. By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. 
the Father's work of designing everything from supernovas to the cell happened through Jesus. How wise is he? How strong is he? Who is this person? Not only that, all things were created through him. What's the second part? They were also created for him. For him. Our jaw should hit the floor here. You know, we're used to things. But Paul has just said that he knows what all creation is for. It has a story. It has a purpose. It's not just meaningless. Right? There's, it's going somewhere. And where's it going? It's going to the feet of Jesus. Everything's made for him. All the situations, every crisis, every success, your very life is made for him. To show who he is, his glory. His father's written a story and it's about, hey, look at Jesus. His beauty, his majesty, his wonder. You're seeing some of who he is. We'd wrap it up in one word. If we, if we did that, it would be Christ. He's the promised divine king. If we took another step in, we'd see he's the eternal son of God, fully God, fully divine in his essence. But also, he took on flesh. He's the son of David. He's the promised king who will reign forever. Fully God, fully man. He's the Christ. He's the son of God. Do you see who he is? Do you remember who he is? Do you see him? That's the good news. It's who he is. It's who he is. There's so much more we could say, but for now, look at verse 18. Verse 18. And he, that's Jesus, he is the head of the body, the church. And there's a word I want to pick up on here. He is the what? The beginning. The beginning of what? What's, what's happening here? Well, you see, he started something. He's, he started something new. And it happened when he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. When he rose from the dead in victory, he started something new. New life. And you see, you, see, you see the echo of this idea at the beginning of 18. Jesus is the head of who? The body, the church. He started a new people with his resurrection. A new family with his resurrection. His resurrection bought and accomplished a people for himself. A people who would know him and love him and see him. And what are we going to see? He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be, what a great word, will you say it with me? Preeminent. What does preeminent mean? Surpassing all others. Better than all others. Towering over all others. Uniquely the best. Uniquely the best. He is the difference maker. Uniquely the best. The gospel is the good news of Jesus, who he is, and what he's done. Now look with me at verse 19. You see this collision of who Jesus is and what he's done. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of of his cross. What's Paul focusing on as, as Jesus' work? Through the cross and the resurrection, Jesus is making all things new. There's a way in which he's going to reconcile, make right every single thing. Creation is for him, and he's making it right. All creation through his cross. But not only that, he's made the difference for you and I. Look at verses 21 to 22. Do you remember what it's like? Do you remember what it's right like to wake up to the reality of your sin before a holy God and to know you're in trouble? Do you remember what it's like to hear the news the first time? 
that Jesus came for you. Do you remember? Look at these verses. Verses 21 to 22. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Hostile. You didn't like God, right? Do you remember? You didn't like him. You're running from him. Hostile in mind. What has Jesus done? Verse 22. He has now reconciled you. He's brought you near. You were enemies. He's made you a friend. We sang it. He's made us his own. Reconciled us. How did he do it? In his, in his body. By his death. Do you see what he did for you? You, you, were, you were alienated from God and he wanted to bring you near, but justice had to be done. And so he took in his body what you and I deserve for our sin and rebellion. He took it. He paid it. He paid for it. He paid the debt we couldn't pay. He paid it. He felt it. He took upon himself the wrath of God in his body in order. So as God puts his just wrath on the Son, a trade happens, and he takes our sin, and he gives us his righteousness and his perfection. So that he's been reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to, to do what? To present you to the Father. Can you imagine him on the cross for you? And now leading you into the Father. Can you imagine Jesus leading you into the presence of the Holy God to bring you in and say, Father, here he is. You know, put your name in there. Here she is, Father. Here he is, Father. And to present you what? Holy. God is holy, and Jesus, through Jesus, you've been made holy, set apart to a holy God. His blood washes you clean. To present you holy. To present you, what's the next word? Blameless. You know, we get caught red-handed. You ever get caught red-handed and then somebody catches you on it and we get defensive and we say things like, well, nobody's perfect. You ever pulled that one? Well, nobody's perfect. And, you know, the whole world wants to stop and be like, look, no one thought you were perfect. This isn't really up for discussion. Why are you bringing this in? Nobody's perfect. Amazingly, Jesus brings you in. And what does the Father say? Perfect, blameless. How can this be? Above reproach, because you're in him, because he's reconciled you. He's paid it all, his life for your life, his death for your death. He's brought you near. Is this good news? Is this good news? Is this all the difference? Is this everything? The holy God receives you as holy, adopts you as his child, his daughter, his son, through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's good news. It's his person. It's who he is. He's the eternal son of God. He's the promised king. And it's his work. It's his perfect life. It's his death buying your reconciliation. It's his resurrection and victory. And on and on, it's his reign, it's his return. It's who he is, and it's what he's done. It's the gospel. The gospel is the good news of the, of the person and the work of Jesus, and it makes all the difference. It's the ultimate difference maker. It changes everything. So now what? Now what? Well, it's continuing to make a difference. It happened 2,000 years ago, and it is continuing constantly to make a difference as paul says it's growing it's growing it's growing this is what paul has on his mind in chapter one of colossians look with me at verses three to six and try to pick up this idea of the gospel and its growth Start in verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the what? The gospel. And now verse 6. Which has come to you 
as indeed in the whole world it's bearing fruit and increasing, as it does also, where? Among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Do you see the issue of the gospel growing? Paul says it's growing out in the world. It's growing. That's not the only place it's growing. Where else is it growing? He says to the church in Colossae, it's growing among you. It's growing in you. Wait, we've already heard it. I know. It's still growing in you. The gospel grows in Paul's mind in two major arenas, two major ways. One is it grows in the world. Now here, this concept should be you're thinking of people who have not yet believed the gospel, who don't know it, still responsible for their own sins. They've not yet believed it. And yet Paul, and this is Paul's whole life, right? This is what he does. He's going to unreached peoples, next city, next place, next place. And what's he taking every time? The gospel. And he's seeing it grow. He's seeing it grow. He's seeing it grow in Corinth and Thessalonica and Rome and Philippi. And he's seeing it grow all throughout the world. He knows it's growing. Here's how it works. Look at verses 13 to 14. When the gospel hits you, you an unbeliever. Now you've believed. Now you've trusted. You've put your faith in Jesus. This is what happens. Chapter 1, verses 13 to 14. We read this with me. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. When you or anyone puts their faith in who Jesus is and what he's done. They trust in him. This is what happens. Delivered. You are saved. Saved from your sin. Saved from a kingdom of darkness. And then what's that word that begins with a T? Something that happens to you when you believe. Transferred to the kingdom of his son. You were in the kingdom of darkness. New membership card. New identity. Where are you now? kingdom of the son and in him we have redemption you've been bought you were a slave you've been bought forgiveness all your sins are are forgotten this is a way the gospel grows in the world it grows as it spreads to unbelievers and when unbelievers put their faith in christ it transfers them into christ's kingdom the gospel grows as people trust christ and are transferred into christ's kingdom Right? Converted, justified, adopted, brought in to the kingdom. That's how it grows. Isn't it great when it grows like that? We've been able to see, some of us in this room, we've converted more recently. Is there anything more beautiful than to see somebody come to Jesus, see who he is? But it's no less beautiful if you've been doing this for a while. Do you remember? When he woke you up to who he is and he saved you, he transferred you into his kingdom. The gospel has grown. It's still growing. It's growing and growing and growing. But let me ask you, so since you believe the gospel whenever you did it, are you done with it now? Prayed that prayer. On to something else. But what else is it that you would be on to, I wonder? Or let me ask you like this. Does the gospel still have room to grow in you? You got any dark valleys in your mind or your heart where it's like a whole unreached people group? <laughs> still, still a whole bunch of weird idols in there? We need some gospel. The gospel's got a lot of room to grow in me. And that's the second way it grows, Paul is saying. Look at what Paul says in Colossians 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so there's the conversion, the transfer, so, now what? Walk in him. Just like you came to the gospel there and got transferred, now you keep walking right in that gospel. Walk in him. What amazing language. In Christ you walk, you live. You're in him every day living your life. Rooted, built up in him, established in the faith. Built up, you're growing, you're like a tree. You're planted in the gospel, you're growing on the gospel, just as you were taught. 
Look at his prayer from chapter 1, verse 10. He's praying for the church. What does he want for them? He prays that so as to walk in a what? Manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Do you hear Paul's prayer for you, for, for every Christian? Christ's prayer for you? You believe the gospel, you've been transferred, you've been forgiven. If you believe it right now, no matter what your past is like, Jesus is taking care of that. But he's not done with you. He's just started. He's just begun. And now he wants a life for you that is fully pleasing to him. Do you see room for the gospel to grow? Bearing fruit in every good work. Increasing in the knowledge of God. We got more room to grow. Paul sums it up. I, li- I like his language of verse 28 from so many angles. Look at Colossians 1 verse 28. Paul says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom. Here's the point for right now. That we may present everyone. What's that next word? Mature in Christ. Mature. Growing up in him where he's king over more and more of your life. More and more of your of your mind, more and more of your hearts, your motives, your emotions, your practices, your speech, more and more of all you are. The gospel is the person and work of Jesus, and it's the best news. It's the difference maker, and it's growing. It's still making a difference. It's growing in all the world as people trust in Jesus. It grows as unbelievers believe in him and are transferred, and it grows in those believers who continue trusting in him and are matured. It grows as it transfers people into the kingdom of Christ, and it grows as it matures people into the image of Christ. You see it? It's growing. It's growing. It's been so cool to see the gospel grow in so many of us together over the years. It's been so amazing to see characters change. Now, it's rarely the easy button. How many of you are like, Dear Lord, can we get the spiritual easy button at some point? Right? Anybody want the, the easy button where you're like, cha-chink, ah. Okay, that, no. Sadly, it's not often the way it happens. But if you'll cling to Jesus, it happens. I've seen it. You've seen it. We grow. We grow. So gospel growth is the thing. The gospel is the good news of the person work of Jesus. It's growing as it transfers people into his kingdom, as it matures people into his image. That's what this is all about. That's what life is all about. The growth of the gospel. To new people and in those people. So now what again? Now what again? If you love the gospel at all, you want it to keep growing, right? That's a passion for you. You want it to grow to people you know who haven't met Jesus yet. You want it. And maybe this is the scarier part. You want it to grow in you. Do you want Jesus to... Are you willing to let Jesus... Are you willing to take him on a tour through your mind and your heart? And let him have it? In new ways? Do you want the gospel to grow in you? Yes. Yes. How? How? Remember my sentence? The difference maker is the gospel. And the gospel, the gospel makes its difference, and that's, that it grows. Okay, same thing. It makes its difference. It grows through my three Ps. Do you remember what they are? People, prayer, proclamation. I need to unpack these, but I want you to keep them. I want this to be like in your pocket. I want this to be our culture. It's like three emphases. If you want to see people come to Jesus, God has given you the method. It's going to involve people. It's going to involve prayer. And it's going to involve proclamation. And throughout the history of the church, we've tried a whole bunch of other things, and they don't work like these. But not only that, if you want to know the Lord better, if you want to draw nearer, if you want him to have more of you, he's given you a method. 
Throughout the history of the church, we've tried a lot of other things. But they don't work like these. It's people. It's prayer. It's proclamation. So what do I mean by people? People. Well, where does the gospel grow? Like you could put a sticker on your car, but does the gospel grow in a Camry? Only if there's people talking in the Camry. <laughs> okay? Does the gospel grow in a building? I'm thankful for this old building, although I think we have some electrical problems. I'm thankful for it. Does the gospel grow in here? Yeah, I hope, but not so much on like Wednesday afternoons at 1 because there's no one in here. Where does the gospel take root? Where does it do things? There's only one place. It's in people. It's for people. It's for hearts, minds, emotions, lifestyles. People made in, the God, in God's image that Jesus is reconciling. And so what I mean by the word people is intentional relationships. And what does the word intentional mean? It means on purpose, right? Going somewhere. There's a studying aspect to it where you're looking for what's there so that you can respond as best as possible. But you're awake to it. Now, where would I get this idea that, in, that intentional relationships are important? Well, it shouldn't be too hard in a sense, right? What's the, what's the second great command? Love your neighbor. Wouldn't love have something to do with relationships? But even as you look through the book of Colossians, you see a group of people who've been so intentional with the church in Colossae. And the, there's, there's plenty of examples. If you want, read, read chapter 4 later. But there's one person who stands out, and his name is Epaphras. In chapter 1, verse 7, Paul remembers how Epaphras cared so much about them from the start. And he went and he spoke the gospel to them. But he did it carefully. Paul says later, he is one of you. He has relationships with them. But we see Epaphras' heart in chapter 4, verse 12. Check this out. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. And now what is he doing? Always struggling on your behalf. Now, how's he doing it from a distance? He's praying. And what is he praying for, by the way? A little. That they would be? He's praying for gospel growth, isn't he? In them. But you see, this man who's cared deeply about the Colossians from start to finish, he cared about them while they were unbelievers. He was one of them, he shared the gospel with them. And he cares about them while they're still believers. He's being intentional. He has been from the start. This is the way it works for transferal. We want the gospel to grow to people who don't know Christ yet. Look at Colossians chapter 4 verse 5. What does Paul say to the believers in Colossae and to us? Walk in what? Wisdom. Wisdom. And what's wisdom? It's always hard to define that word. It's more than knowledge. It involves knowledge, but it's, the, it's a skill too, right? It's the ability to do what's best in the moment. Wisdom isn't just a list of eight steps. It, it's sensitive to the context and to the environment, and it takes truth and applies it well. Walk in wisdom towards, towards whom? Outsiders. And by the word outsiders, Paul just means they're not in the church family yet. They haven't trusted in Christ. Walk. That's a daily life kind of thing. Do you have friends who aren't believers? What should you do with them? You should walk in what? Wisdom. And then do what? Making the, the best use of the time. 
you, throughout your life, you get so much time with whoever people, right? But it's limited. Some people, you have a lot of time with them. Some people, you're hardly going to have any time with them at all. There it is. You got your pitches to hit. There they are. Are you making the best use of it? Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Use wisdom. But be intentional. Be thoughtful. The gospel grows in people, and we need to be intentional in our relationships with people who don't yet know him. That's part of their process for transferring into the kingdom of the Son. The being intentional in relationships isn't just for outsiders, of course. I'm going to hit this verse several times on so many angles. Look again at Colossians 1.28. Paul says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with what? All wisdom. It's the same thing, right? Wisdom, intentional relationships, not just from believer to unbeliever, but believer to believer. And Paul says we do it so that we can present everyone mature. So quick question for you. Should it be one of your passions that I would be more mature in Christ? Should it be one of my passions that you would be more mature in Christ? Should it be your passion that you would be more mature in Christ? Because what do we want? We want the gospel to grow to outsiders in insiders. And so we have to have intentional relationships. Now, really, there's four Ps, okay? Because I gave you people, prayer, and proclamation. The fourth one might be participate. I don't just want this to be a, oh, that was an interesting methodological seminar on life in the church. What is God calling you to do with all your relationships? Be intentional. For what, ultimately? The growth of the gospel. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't, don't, don't mean like we use people for Jesus, like you get notches in your belt for conversions or something. No, it's real love. It's real relationships. But if you know Jesus, real love will go there. He's preeminent. If you love so much, someone so much, but you never give them the best thing you have to offer, I would wonder about your love. And so we want to... Uh, a book I read, I think, used the phrase, move people to the right. That's not, a, that's not a political phrase, okay? It's more of a reading phrase, okay? We go left. If you're Hebrew, you can move people to the left, but we read English. Move people, move people to the right for you. This way is right for you. Bump people for Jesus. Influence people towards Jesus. Make Jesus look good, as Paul is going to say later. But be intentional with your relationships. You know, I try to get to the gym. I enjoy it, and that's where I know most people who aren't Christians because I work with a lot of Christians generally. And, man, I can walk in there with blinders on and just be like, oh, my life, and then leave. It's so different when I, I'm like, Lord, help me interact with people when I'm in here. Help me see. Help me be intentional. Conversations happen. Relationships happen. Am I giving them the four spiritual laws every time I see them? No, not at all. But I'm thinking about them. I'm trying to walk with wisdom. Do I mess it up? Sure. I'm trying. Be intentional. I don't always do it, but man, we've got to be intentional. Participate. Participate in this. So you want to make a difference? You latch on to the gospel, the ultimate difference maker. And you want to see that gospel grow? In you, through you, and in others, what's the first thing to emphasize? People. Intentional relationships. And by the way, it's not just for other people's growth, right? If there's a habit you have seen no fruit in kicking, it's not a guarantee, but I would bet you haven't included somebody else in that process. And I can see why you have, and it's scary. And you'll have to really think about whether or not you actually want to kick that. 
But if you want to kick it, and you include intentional relationships with a trusted believer, there's power there. People. That's how the gospel grows. Not only people, but what's the next P? Prayer. Prayer. Um, you ever tried to be an influence on somebody's life and run into a brick wall and ended up with a black eye? And a, you know, you tried to, Anybody ever tried to be the Holy Spirit and found that you're terrible at that? Here, let me change you. <laughs> For the worse. That's called nagging usually, right? It's not effective. When we're talking about gospel growth, this is, this is a job that only God can do ultimately. Only God can do it. God wants to involve you, but he's, he's the founder. He's the perfecter. And if you're going to get changed, if anybody else is going to get changed, he's the one who does it. And so we do what? At least theoretically. We pray. Back to that verse with Epaphras. This, this verse blows me away. Colossians 4.12. We've already seen it. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. And what's he always doing, Paul says? Struggling on your behalf in his prayers. He's constantly fighting a prayer war for this church. He knows he can't mature them. But he prays for them. Again, do you think this is true for gospel growth to unbelievers, or is it true for gospel growth in believers? Trick question, right? Yes, both. For gospel growth anywhere, it's people, intentional relationships, and it's prayer. And this is the biggest part of having intentional relationships. We're praying for one another. Look what Paul says in Colossians 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in what? Prayer. At the same time, pray for us. Oh, we don't need to pray for you. You're an apostle. You have it all together. Oh, pray for us. For what? That God might open a door to declare the mystery. Paul says, I don't even have a chance to share the gospel unless I pray for it. I got to pray. He's praying for transferal and unbelievers, gospel growth. He's praying for maturity in believers, gospel growth. His prayer in chapter 1, verse 9 is amazing. Look at this. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. How many people could you say that to without lying? From the day we've heard, we've not ceased to pray for you. And look at what he's praying for. Are you confronted by this? Asking that all your circumstances would get easier. In Jesus' name. Oh! He's praying for gospel growth. Asking that you'd be filled with the knowledge of his will for you in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to what? Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. We're praying that the gospel would grow in you so that you'd be more mature in Jesus. We want to see the gospel grow. We pray. People, prayer, and then the fourth P, participate. <laughs> what is God calling you to as someone who loves the gospel? Pray. Pray harder. Pray more. You see Epaphras' example? Struggle in your praying. Fight in your praying. For what? Gospel growth. Where? In unbelievers so they could be transferred into the kingdom of the Son. Where else? In believers so they could be mature. Pray for gospel growth. Fill out that prayer survey for me, please, as honestly as you can. We want to work on our prayer. And then struggle in prayer. Struggle in prayer for gospel growth in yourself, in this church, in me, in the outside world. Be intentional in relationships, praying for those relationships. The gospel is the difference maker, and that difference happens. That difference happens through people, prayer, and what's the third one? Proclamation. Now, this one probably is easier to see. We are reading from the letter to the Colossians, and the whole thing is proclamation. What are we talking about? It's a wise sharing. Of a gospel centered 
word. It's a wise sharing of the word of God. Focus in on Jesus and who he is. It's important to focus in on Jesus. Can you share the word of God and totally wreck people? Okay, there's, there's, there's so much goofy stuff out there. Or you just give them law only. You know, law only. Here's commands, you broke them, you stink, enjoy burning in hell. Right? We see the people on the street corner sometimes and we're amazed by their boldness and we're like, is he walking in wisdom? I don't know. No, I don't think he is. Then on the other side, you know, I think it was... Uh, I think it was Moody. I might be getting this wrong. Somebody came up to him and said, I don't like your method of evangelism. And Moody said, all right, well, tell me yours. Like I said, I don't have one. And Moody said, I like mine better. <laughs> you got to proclaim. You got to share a Christ-centered word. You got to share the gospel. Again, Colossians 4. Verses 3 to 4. Paul said, At the same time, pray for us also that God may open a door to us for the word to declare the mystery of Christ and that I may make it what? Clear, which is how I ought to speak. Pray that I will share the gospel clearly. Verse 5. And you, Colossians, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Be intentional. And then verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. My daughter loves salt. Could taste your food, right? It's a sin to have food you can't taste. We should be able to taste our speech. Gracious. What does that taste like? Now, you, how many of you want to dump like a whole pound of salt on your food? It ruins the meal, right? That's what we call beating people up with the Bible. Season it. Okay. Is there the grace of the gospel in how you talk? Sometimes that's going to be flavors of the gospel just in how you handle things. You're gracious, you're forgiving. But Jesus came, and he's, he's the ultimate mixture, right? He came in grace and truth. There's no love without truth. There's no truth without love. But you're, you're gracious, you're forgiving, but you're also, you're centered, you're convicted. You know where you stand. And when you can, when it's right, because you're walking with wisdom, you're praying about it. When you can, you're going to, you want to share the gospel about Jesus, how he's changed you. You want to share it. You proclaim. Nobody's ever been transferred into the kingdom without having someone tell them the gospel. Proclaim. You want to see the gospel grow? Proclaim. Okay, but what about with believers? Because the gospel grows in us for maturity. How do we do that? People prayer and Proclamation. We've seen this again, Colossians 1.28. Him we pro, him we do what? Him we proclaim, talking about Jesus, that we may present everyone mature. What has to happen for us to get mature? Got to proclaim Jesus. That's what we're trying to do right now. But it's not just for apostles or pastors. Look at Colossians 3.16. What is Paul saying? Let the word of Christ dwell in whom? And you. And who's the you? You. Let's pretend he's from Missouri. Let the word of Christ dwell in y'all. Richly. And then what? Look at these. Look at these. What, what did he say? Teaching. Who? One another. Admonishing. Who? one another who's proclaiming to who in this church hopefully yeah I have a a, a role in that as a pastor but is it just is it just is it just me who should be proclaiming no how do we grow you want gospel growth we talk the word to each other we talk scripture to each other Encouragement, teaching, even admonishing sometimes. When he says singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, that doesn't mean we have to live in like a fountain of life musical together. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. But it's the, it's the reality. I think he actually means psalms, like the psalms in the Bible. It's the reality of the psalms for one another. 
You're broken, I've got encouragement for you. You're angry, I've got a prayer for you. You're exalting, like, i got... I mean, this is amazing. It's, the Psalms are our fellowship with the Lord, right? Divine inspired prayers together for one another. Bring one another to the Lord together. This is how we mature. So people have said, I don't feel close to God. And sometimes life is hard. It happens over time. Plenty of saints in history have struggled with this for a lot. So I don't want to make this an easy button thing. But often... I've been doing this for 11 years, and I know it in my own life. Often, if you feel distant from God, guess what's probably missing a little bit? People. Are you in intentional relationships with other believers? What else might be missing a little bit? Prayer. Are you praying? Are you praying together? What else might be missing a little bit? Proclamation. Are you getting in the Word? Are you teaching it? Are you hearing it? Are you listening? People, prayer, proclamation. This is how the gospel goes, grows. This is how people get saved. This is how people get mature. We walk into intentional relationships with prayerful proclamation. So how should we respond? Remember, the difference maker is ultimately who? It's Jesus. And the gospel is the person of who he is and what he's done. And it's growing. Let's take part. Let's take part. Be intentional in your relationships. Be prayerful in your relationships. And when you can, proclaim. Proclaim. And we've got one outlet for you to do that. Sign up after the service. Sign up for a growth group. Guess what they're for? Growth. Growth in the gospel. And guess what? Three methods we're trying to use. People. Intentional relationships. Prayer. As we pray God's word together. Proclamation. I know you're busy. We all are. And we don't want to say it, but sometimes... Relationships like these are messy. It's messy. But I'm just glad Jesus wasn't too busy or too comfortable for me. He came into this mess for me and for you. He's intentional. Prays for us even today. Gives us his word. And we are called together to join him. To sum it up, let's be amazed at what Jesus has done for us and let's follow him in what he's still doing. The gospel is growing and it grows in us and through us as we emphasize people, prayer, and proclamation. Let's participate. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son, for giving us everything we need for life and godliness. Thank you for the resources we have in your Holy Spirit, the resources we have in your word, the resources we have in the gospel, the resources we have in one another. And we ask you that you would help us to participate in what you're doing and that we we would see the gospel grow in new ways, first in our own hearts, our own lives, that you would be king and lord of every part of us, And that we would also see the gospel grow together as a community and in our network of relationships. Lord, we want this to happen. We pray it together. We want this to happen. Do it in us. Do it through us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.